to be told to your fucking face that you're going to die and not let that just decimate you. I just was in awe because he just maintained his spirit. I'm Matthew Philp. I'm Elizabeth Thompson. And I'm Erin Hosier. And this is Tell Me About Your Father, a podcast about daddy issues, father figures, and dismantling the paternal mystique. We examine how fathers, both literal and symbolic, influence pop culture, politics, and the lives of people of every generation from all over the world. So settle in and listen as we delve into some dad stuff. Hi, this is Elizabeth. When the comedian and actress Alyssa Lynn Paris was 25 years old, her dad was diagnosed suddenly with a stage 4 glioblastoma tumor in his brain. It's an aggressive form of cancer, and her father, Jim, a vivacious and driven sheet metal salesman who was athletic, strong, and seemingly supernaturally optimistic, would be dead in a year. This was in 2015, and Alyssa was living in New York City at the time, trying to get her footing in the comedy world. But immediately, she moved back home with her brother to Massachusetts to be with her dad. Alyssa and her father were very close. She says she ran every decision she made by him, and now she had to prepare for a future without him. After his death, Alyssa immediately got to work to help process the grief, writing a one-woman stage show called No Bad Days about the experience of watching him slip away and how deeply losing her dad changed the course of her life and who she was. After touring No Bad Days for years, it's become a taped comedy special streaming on Peacock now. It's directed by the noted music video director and producer Lance Bangs, and the show chronicles not only the loss of Alyssa's dad, but the surreal reality of grief that we must live on without the people we love, have milestones, change as humans, and wonder what they might say if they knew how different things were now. I got to know Alyssa, who also currently stars on the Showtime series Flatbush Misdemeanors, when we worked together at Condé Nast a few years ago. She had just lost her dad when we started working together, and by the end of our time as co-workers a couple years later, I had also lost my dad. Here, Alyssa talks to me about No Bad Days, the uniquely terrifying destabilization that comes with losing a parent in your 20s when you're technically an adult, but not really, and carrying on her dad's love of life and everything she does. Okay, here's Alyssa. Alyssa, congratulations on No Bad Days. Thank you. It's out now on Peacock. It's so good. Go and watch it, everybody. It's a show that you have been touring and working on for since you essentially you lost your dad right totally and it is cool talking to you because you were at one of the first renditions of it i really was at the pit how long how long have you been working on it from getting it first off the ground at the pit and working it there and then the peacocks to here Mm -hmm. well it's interesting this Of all of my projects, this project has always been one that was just something I just had to do. When you saw it back in 2016, it was, I didn't even know anything about anything. I was just like, this is material I have to talk about. I have to talk about my dad. I have to talk about what I just went through because it's like all that's on my mind. And I had been writing these blogs, which is actually how I got the job at Condé, where we met. Um, But I was writing these blogs about my dad when he was dying because I was home in the suburbs and I just like needed to talk about it. 
But my experience in New York had been so much comedy. So then I feel like this show was sort of a way of combining those two things. I don't even remember fully writing it. It just like happened because I needed it to happen. And then I toured it for a while, a little bit. I did it a bunch in New York in black boxes. I did it at the Providence Fringe. I did it till I felt like, okay, I'm done now. And then I just stopped doing it because I felt like I had said everything I needed to say about that chunk. And then I just kind of lived life and we worked together and made other stuff. And I did a whole, you know, I acted, I moved to LA and then time passed. And then my friend reached out to me who was working at Peacock, someone that I'd worked with before, Mike DiCenzo, who's wonderful and so smart and funny. And he was like, don't you have a, a special? I'm working at Peacock. Let's talk about it. And then we just from there talked about how, you know, I rewatched it and I was like, oh my gosh, some parts are amazing. Some parts are like, oh, this isn't true anymore for me. And so this new rendition was like, okay, the ethos of the old show, which was still No Bad Days, but then what has it been like now, not just to lose my dad, but to live without him and to grow. And that's sort of what this new show is. When did your dad die? What year did he die? I think 26, I think he had diagnosed in 2015 and died in 2016, I believe, unless okay. I'm like a year off, unless it's 2014, 2015. It might I can be. never remember what year my dad died either. I know, because it all blends. So right when I met you, you had just lost him. Yeah. Is that right? Because I met you right. in 2016. So he had maybe not even been dead a year. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. Wow. Because that, that job was, yeah, it was right after he died. That's what kind of kept me, that's what brought me back to the city I would say yeah and then yeah. you lost your dad what that, a year? like a year later and I remember talking to you about it because you were the only person that I knew who had lost a father Ugh. um you know you talk about in the special that you were in your early 20s when he died what were you like when you lost him what were you like when you were a young adult living in New York when you got the call that he was sick and had mm. to go home that's a good question, Elizabeth. I, I think that the, when I looked back at this show, when Mike emailed me and we chatted, and when I looked back at this show, I think I was aware of how stark the difference was. I think I, I hadn't even known it maybe when I was doing that show. But when I looked back, I was like, man, I was different. I was a kid when that happened. I was just... And obviously people lose parents at a much younger age. People have much mm -hmm. more responsibility. People have their own kids in their early 20s. So it's not... But it was just maturity wise where I was in life I was just a kid I was so reliant on my parents and I was so I wasn't an adult I was still clinging to my parents I was so I was fucking terrified I just went home immediately because I was like oh my god this is my base this is my everything so I would say the positive sides of me was that I was probably a bit lighter in like when you don't have it I didn't have as much like responsibility maybe or I didn't have as much there was something about my life that was a little bit more softer or something. I think I got a little hardened by what happened. But then the positive side is like all the stuff I talk about where it really did push me to just be much more go-getting. Like it reminded me how short life was. It was like, I got to go. This is my life. Yeah. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you for this episode or for the show is because I feel like the 20s is a tough like if people don't talk about it that much, but it's a tough window because you're technically an adult, but you're so not an adult. You're you know? so not an adult. Yeah, my early 20s were not great. I was really depressed. I just I wasn't like, right. I wasn't I didn't have a hold of my life yet. Yeah, you're still a kid. Yeah, you're still a kid. And yeah. like, I don't. I don't really know anyone that's like, you know, what time in my life was my favorite in my early 20s. So it's true. Like, oh, 
<laughs> people it's like i had a nervous breakdown it's so I, true i was in i personally was like in the throes of depression and an eating disorder and fill in the blank it yep. was such a mess same oh my yeah. god yeah i think it it it's not talked about you're right but it is a time where people get you can get a little lost it, and you're for the first time your friends are all doing different things like mm -hmm. everyone's on a different timeline everyone's you start being in different financial brackets depending on what jobs people start getting it was a weird time yeah yeah and then to have a parent be lost in that weird time is just completely destabilizing that's it um, i felt fully destabilized i just was in a i feel like yeah i was fully destabilized let's talk about your dad his name was jim and yep. he was very very special i yes. never met jim but you definitely get a sense of jim's vivacity from your show um, you have not to not to give too many joke spoilers, um, but you do have an amazing line in your special about how your dad, you know, filled any room he went into. He had this amazing energy, and he also dressed very uniquely and once and won a costume contest at a costume party, even though he wasn't wearing a costume, which is amazing. And, yes, and then did you catch during the end? Did you yes. see the picture? Yeah, I saw the picture. He's wearing like an amazing country western kind yeah. of look. For um, just an, yeah. What yeah. was what was he like? For tell the people at home a, a little more about Jim and his personality and what he was like. He really was just electric. Like, um, and the older I get, the more I appreciate how impressive that is and how mm -hmm. to yeah i it, how, how much energy it must have taken and how hard it is to be so optimistic all the time and to always wear a fun outfit and to think of games when people are coming over and themes and he was the guy in the neighborhood who brought everyone together for some stupid party or we would do pranks on our neighbors he was just he wouldn't let a day go by without filling it with something um and the show's called No Bad Days, but it's like my dad had bad days, but mm -hmm. he was impressive in his will to make the day good. Like I remember he got laid off. This was something I was thinking of recently. Like one of my favorite summers was he got laid off and he just said, well, and great. This is time for us to hang out more. And I I remember we went to the dump because you know, he was told we, <laughs> we were home from school and my dad usually wasn't because he, he worked as a sheet metal salesman and he worked, you know, usually a traditional nine to six or nine to seven. We went to the dump and we, I just remember, I don't really remember exactly it. I just remember like eating baked goods. Like we went to Shallow's Bakery, this like one of my favorite bakeries. We had all these baked goods. We were listening to music. We went to the dump, but I remember it being the best day ever. And it was mm -hmm. just like my dad got laid off and we went to the dump, yet it was still like a dreamy day. So he he just had a knack for making the mundane really fun and exciting. Um yeah dad love the dump dads Show do love dad the dump that doesn't love the dump that's dump. it is so true <laughs> they love dumps they love getting the sticker the big items yeah and you talk about you know in the show that even when he was quite quite sick towards you know kind of his final days that he still he wanted to get up he wanted to be active as his tumor in his brain progressed, he lost mobility in his body, but he didn't really let that stop him from wanting to go outside, right, and be outdoors, yeah. which is amazing, and savor every minute and be in the sun. And you talk about how you guys kind of bonded over exercise and being outdoors. 
Um, mm-hmm. What did that look like for you as a kid? Like, what did that mean that he was waking you up at like 6 a.m. to go Because <laughs> whenever I hear like outdoor times with dads, I'm like, that could very much go either way. Totally. Like, you know, totally, totally. Thing or like he had me up running laps and, you know, all the time. Yeah, it's probably mm-hmm. a little bit of a combo. I, probably mm-hmm. when I was younger, I was like, this sucks. But I have my biggest memories of it of once I started enjoying it and like, because I, be, I was a runner starting in middle school. And then we would just, yeah, we'd just bike, run, monster hikes, monster bikes. It, yeah, mm. it took me a while to even like exercise on my own because I was so accustomed to doing big stuff with my dad. And we would hike, we tried to hike like all the 4,000 footers in Vermont. We would like, we hated when people would hike slowly. So we would just like book it up the mountains. We pushed each other. We, yeah, we loved exercising together. What did you guys talk about when you were hiking? Do you remember like what, you know, you, you touch on this a little bit in the show, but what, what were your like combos like when you were out outdoors outside? Yeah. The thing I remember and yeah, what I touch on in the show is just, and it's hard. I know I'm sure you get this too, but it's like, is weird it's been seven years you you forget stuff you forget mm-hmm. stuff usually we just whatever talk about the days and what was going on and because I was really up to date with my parents I would talk to them like every day so it was just kind of the way you would talk to a friend whatever's going on in my life and yeah he loved comedy so we would talk about comedy he loved I worked as a consultant for a bit he lo- he was in sales so he loved talking business but I think I, w- I remember asking him like about my mom and how he met her and if he dated anyone else mm-hmm. and like just more a little bit about his his younger life I know that you have a brother is there a difference there in in your memories of him or how you guys spent time with him I'm four years younger than my older sister and she I wouldn't say she had a wildly different relationship with my dad, but she she had a different kind of relationship with him. We he was a big Mark would exercise as well with him. They they liked golf and maybe like skiing a bit more. So maybe they would have and chess. They loved chess. And Mark was like my brother was like a really competitive chess player. My dad would take him to tournaments and stuff. So that was probably more their vibe. But also my brother was three years older. And I lived in the house alone with my parents for, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you did too, for mm-hmm. those like three years. So I think that probably bonded my dad and I a lot just because I probably spent more time with, with my parents alone. Yeah. But we all had such a close relationship and my brother moved home too. Like my brother, and he was three years older and he had a full-time job, but he still also moved home. So it was this kind of beautiful thing where it's like the four of us were home as adults living together. And I would not have got through that year without my brother because we were essentially we were essentially which i'm sure you relate to too like being like parents during the day and then nighttime would come and my dad would get to sleep and i just remember like exhaling and being like okay now we can like we would order dominoes so much it's like i can't i haven't eaten dominoes since because that would be the thing you know we're in the deep suburbs there wasn't a ton and we would just order dominoes and go out on the front porch and just like unwind, talk about the day or whatever, um, and then get ready for the next day. Now, was the hard part about this disease was it really, you know, I, I've actually never thought of this, but I get really calm at night now. I think it's maybe in part due to like back then the only time that was calm was night because the next day you didn't know what new fucking function was going to be gone. It was so fast that like sometimes a week things would stay the same, but like it would happen one day there was 
an ability to talk. And then one day there wasn't. One day there was an ability to walk. One day there wasn't. So that nighttime, I was like, the very least, nothing is going to change. Right, I have right now, and then tomorrow, things things might be things might be worse. So, um, uh, yeah. I mean, I know it's probably really painful, and I I always cringe when I like let's talk about that thing that's really painful more <laughs> to guess. But um, you know, I put this I, upon myself. Don't worry. <laughs> I, 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 I actually didn't. I didn't have that with my dad. He died very quickly in a hospital, and mm. I, I didn't. I didn't have a prolonged illness with him where he, where I was taking care of him. And you, you were. You know, you found out he was sick. Tell, tell me more about the timeline of that. Like you were living in New York. You found out he was sick. You got the call and you and your brother then dropped everything and went home and helped take care of him. Or how did it, yes. how did it kind of play out across? And was it a year before he yes. then died? Yeah, it was a full year. It was very crazy timing. So I was moving out of my apartment that day. My mm -hmm. parents were coming to help me because I was still in that stage where like parents would help me move oh, again. Yeah. I was very yeah. dependent. But I so they were coming to move me got the call as they were come i remember because i got a call we'll be there in three hours and then she called back my mom called back like five minutes later and i just knew something i was like something mm. is wrong and then so they turned around but at that point you know this the crying screaming there's a tumor but i i was naive i don't think i knew like fully yet that that was like it i i mean it was so healthy that i knew it was bad but and i just remember my brother and his now wife and I think even her more, she was like, let's just go home just to like be there just in case. Or it was kind of like, because maybe I was like, oh, should I do the move and then we'll go? And she was like, I think we should go. Mm -hmm. So my friend, Jean, is one of my best friends who I was moving in with. She handled everything. She took all my stuff to her place. And then I never ended up living there. I went home what we thought was going to be probably like a weekend because I don't remember packing a ton. And then it just became very clear um timeline being i think drove to the hospital mark's wife me and mark mark's wife megan me and mark drove to the hospital checked in i still i just remember my dad being so relieved to see us and hugging me then i kind of still didn't think i don't think i knew too much and then my brother got a hotel i remember going to the hotel and being like do you think this is think this is bad and him being like I don't know when, but this will, this will be what kills dad. And I fucking lost it. Cause I had, I don't think I knew, I don't think I yet yeah. was like fully, but he was obviously older and a little bit more balanced. And was like, no, this is, this is what this is. Cause you just, you don't, I don't know. You hear about tumors and stuff. You don't always think it's like definitely death. You think of fighting or like, yeah. it, but it, it was clear. Your brain goes to, I know I've read something about someone that overcame this or I've yes. heard something about Maybe the it's benign that, but, or maybe it's right. like a, right, right. And then we just didn't, once it, once it was a clear that it was like terminal, yeah. which is such a crazy, to be told to your fucking face that you're going to die and not let that just decimate you. I just was in awe because he just maintained his fucking spirit. He maintained his spirit. Mm -hmm. I remember yeah. clearly that night they, I, I was in the room and they brought in the image of the, the tumor, the, what was there. I remember the surgery, they got it all out. And I remember my dad saying, are we out of the woods? And them saying, we're, we're not out of the woods. 
And then we went to talk to this doctor who had terrible bedside manner. And I don't think any of us were quite ready. And he was just like, you have maybe four, three to four years, he said, you know, four, which in retrospect was so irresponsible because that wasn't even true. But three to four, that was still shocking to us. And my dad was like, what do I do? And he's, I, 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 then we ended up going to someone else who um, said it could be even, it could be even less. Um, but once, once he heard three to four, once, I mean, that was the big blow, I think of just like, there's no surviving this. Yeah. Yeah. And those fucking rides we would ride up. I mean, it was, it was absolutely fucking hell. I mean, but that's why I think it was so unbelievable to me that my dad was able to stay positive because we would drive up to Boston once a month to see a scan to see if it was, cause you know, they took the whole tumor out, but then the thing just grew so fast. But then we would go up on these long drives to Boston an hour and the whole way it would just be like, we're either going to go get, we're going to figure out every time how many more days he has to live. It was just cruel. Yeah. So cruel. And so I, I can't imagine and you talk about it in the special, but you, you mentioned it here too, like that he stayed positive throughout that, which is incredible. Did you ever get the sense that he was afraid? Yeah, I asked him once, are you scared? And he said, I am a little scared, um, which I remember was like tough to hear. And that also, I think, made me be like, oh, you're never, that kind of gave me a window into adulthood too, of just like, you're not not scared you're not no one's ready for death no one's like a parent isn't this superhero who has no fear it's like no it sucks it sucks but he just I do remember him just saying like I would just want more time to keep staying with you guys and keep doing what I'm doing and that was kind of um comforting to me in a way I think a lot of people probably get to the end of their life and they want they have regrets or they want to do more or do and it was nice to hear just like I just want to spend more time with you guys and yeah keep doing what I'm doing longer that was nice where it didn't feel like he felt the need to change everything about his life right yeah what did that look like how did the family sort of change in that last year before he was really sick and taking advantage of you know everything you could time-wise you know like August when you're a kid maybe mm -hmm. the last two weeks of August where you just know you're about to go back to school and so it's like you're just doing every, the last couple weeks of senior year. It was just kind of like this real awareness of like anything you want to do, we're doing it big and we're doing it now. And obviously there were limitations health wise because he had to do radiation and chemo right away and he had to have surgery right away. So couldn't do anything crazy, but it just there was a real like every every day we were doing we were just, there was just an awareness, I'd say, which got intense too. I, I I think that there was an intensity to that of like Christmas and anniversaries and everything felt so like loaded because there was this knowledge that this was the last one, but, but we just pushed. So it, we went on vacation, we took him skiing, we went to Florida, we went down to the beach. We had such supportive family friends and family and community that gave their resources. We used a family house and like my mom's cousin's house in Florida and our neighbor's house in Narragansett. People were so generous with, with what they had. And so we just, we just would say yes to everything and, and go for stuff. 
what did that, you know, what, what did a holiday knowing it was going to be probably very likely the last, was it, was it joyful? Was it more joy or was it tears or both? Do you remember? I, I will say two things. I will say one is probably because of my dad's optimism, like so he got sick and diagnosed on Halloween, end of mm. October. So while that November and December, we probably knew were the last, I think it was still so fresh that at that point, we might have like still had some hope that, because he was so fucking, I mean, Healthy he recovered and, and he was like yeah. walking, if I'm upbeat and no one would, if you saw him, you would not be like, oh, this is a sick man at that point. So I think if it was something like that, it would have been bleaker. But in a way, no, I think it was more positive where we were like just we're going to spend this together and we're going to make it good and we're going to have all of our family here. But also it was a little bit heavy because yeah, of course there was this yeah. weight there. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing too. Life changed so fast. And I talk about that in the special, but the quickness of just how life can, Ooh, mm -hmm. that, that, that was jarring. It was like the comparison, like now I'm out of the comparison years, but I would say that's a weird part of this sickness where it was like, it was so, everything felt so much like different from the christmas prior and then the christmas after everything felt so different from the so it was like there were such markers at that point of how much our life had changed from healthy to sick to dead that those three years i would say were, were whiplash of everything was different types of pain and and then you just kind of get used to okay now this year from last to the next isn't quite as different that's yeah. so interesting you phrase it i love that the comparison years it's that's so true the first few years i'm going on i think i'm in my fourth year but it really does feel like it stopped after three years that's it the fourth like, year i think so yeah i don't what is that why is it the fourth year because then there's something about rule threes in comedy. So maybe it's just, yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> maybe there's something with like, it's a pattern now that now this is the new normal. So it's, it's not. Yeah. You, you graduate from like that, that stage of grief or just that phase of like, this is how it was before. Yes. This is how it was then. This is how it is now. What will yeah. it be in the future? Like all of right. that sort of quiets down a little bit. Which did you feel this with COVID? I felt a real like PTSD with COVID because I was like, this is the same thing where it's like, Life before COVID, life during, life kind of with in this week. Yeah. Yeah, I did. It, it was odd timing, like with COVID, because he hadn't been dead for that long when it hit. I think maybe like two years, but, but same, same kind of echoes back to the way that grief kind of st stops time of like that now collectively the world is experiencing, which yes. is like, where did the past two years go? I know. Where, what happened? Like, was that last month or was it two years ago? Like I that know. is what grief is like. And yes. we are, we have all experienced some sense of that. Um, totally. In the past, you know, two years, which is very totally. strange. Um, yeah. Something I really loved about this special and I thought was really interesting and I wanted to ask you about is you mentioned in the, um, the special that you were a kid that went home from slumber parties, which I absolutely was too. I, I, Ugh. you know, I remember having to sit on someone's mom's lap during the marshmallow man scene <laughs> in Ghostbusters. In Ghostbusters, so not even a scary scene. Not, I went home from that slumber party and I had to sit on an adult's lap during that scene. But same thing, same. I think you and I are on this. We've talked about yes. this. Like we see each other on the anxiety yes. spectrum. Yes. Um. But, you know, you, one thing I really loved is that you kind of weave through 
those those you know kind of quirks and you have a whole section woven throughout or in the middle where you talk about sex in a really clever way and I think it's interesting because our, our and you don't draw a connect a, a clear connection between it but all of this stuff is related right like totally. how we grow up our anxiety and then yeah who we date who we're attracted to the late bloomerism, sex. You have an yep. amazing anecdote about going to a sex store. You talk about your body. You talk about, you know, your Greek heritage and what that means for your body hair. It's all so funny. Being convinced that you're pregnant when there's absolutely no way. Same. Um, <laughs> how how was sex and body stuff like, you know, our parents do shape a lot of that stuff, unfortunately, as much as I don't want to admit that. Was that discussed in your house, like sexuality or body stuff? Or did you talk about it with your dad ever? No, not really. Like, I do think there, I grew up, my dad was super religious. I grew up really religious. So sex was very much brought up as a thing of, like, the, what you do with your husband. That is, like, mm -hmm. something for marriage. There was not a lot of talk about pleasure. I don't think there was any talk about pleasure or, like, that sex sex as a thing of pleasure was just not even I totally. it was like something saved for marriage so I think that that was something that was a source of my anxiety I remember because I waited for a while to have sex and then do you remember that mounting I don't know how but there was this mounting pressure oh, yeah. the longer you waited of like well now I'm like too late and I'm behind and I think that that yeah it all relates to anxiety because I do remember the relief of finally having sex and being like great that's fucking over with now I can like I don't right. have to wait for the perfect person to have. Now I can check sex. the box. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was, I think I, there was so much pressure on like, I have to wait for the perfect person to have sex. And so what that did for me was then it was like, I wouldn't give people a chance. Uh, Cause it was yeah. like, if you're not perfect after a date or two, I got to move on because I have to find the perfect person. So it added a layer of yeah. stress to like, no one's perfect. 17, we're all fucking mess. So yeah. Were you 17? How old were you? Oh, no, I was 17 <laughs> when I first thought of like kissing someone. I was 21 at least. What's what's freshman year? It was the end of my freshman year of college. So whatever yeah. that is. Yeah, yeah. I I went to like a euphoria like high school where everyone was oh. like, everyone was like, um, if you're 16 and a virgin, that's really sad. Like what happened? <laughs> oh, my God. But but yeah, I do think that there is something backfires and telling kids over and over again that you have to wait for someone really special because totally that pressure mounts right yes. of like you don't want to tell kids like fuck whoever it doesn't matter right but right like, right just get the first ones whatever like, right right but like it does kind of it, it makes it harder for some kids i think to definitely like definitely around and i don't really I, yeah i don't blame my parents because i think that they just grew you know they grew up in the church. They met at church. It was just such a religious. I grew up in such a religious family that I don't think they had another way of seeing it. Um, but yeah, if I were, if I were to have children, I will make sure to yeah to not yeah to. I think it's really important that women know they don't owe men sex, or no one owes anyone sex. You don't mm -hmm. owe anyone sex. You don't ever owe anyone sex, and also. If you want to have sex and you feel ready and you respect the person, then that then that's OK. I think those that combo of things, I think I had a different I think I was like, they have to be perfect. And then it, there was this thing of like, 
owing people. Like, I, I don't think oh, I realized. Yeah. yeah. Which leads us into like, you mentioned your parents meeting at church. You you have a double whammy of anxiety or pressure around sex too culturally because you grew up in the Greek Orthodox Church, correct? Yeah. And then you went to Catholic high school. Yeah, wow. middle, yeah middle school, elementary school, Catholic school. Look, I'm wearing it right Come now. St. Margaret's School. This is my elementary school sweatshirt that I... I love my, that. My really mom's cool. moving, so she's like finding all these old things. Yeah, this is my old PE uniform I'm wearing. Aww. But um, totally. Yeah, I mean, that double whammy just... I My mind was blown when I went to college. I think my mind was absolutely blown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you know, culturally, like when we talk about grief, we talk about emotions. You also have the sort of third prong, like you have religion you have your greek yep. heritage then you also have being from new england and, true and massachusetts the repression that comes along with that absolutely mm -hmm. how did that play out have you seen it play out across your family like and how other family members have talked about or not talked about losing your dad one thousand percent yes 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 i mean and we have the quadruple prong which is like mm -hmm. society in general is not good at talking about <laughs> grief for death so no. it's like adding that to all that it's near impossible i think yeah and and i do talk about this in the show that i didn't get a goodbye like as much as like i don't think my dad even wanted to talk about it. i think it was just yeah. such a topic that we just didn't we just didn't talk about no i i think i think the the trouble with repression and not talking about it is it it's additive. So I think it's not something that can easily be solved. If you haven't talked about any of your trauma, you can't talk about a new one because that would mean unveiling all the others. So unfortunately, I think that's some of the New England thing is like, well, there's so much trauma piled on here that you haven't talked about that. How can I expect you to talk about this? So I got really used to and I had this hospice nurse tell us, um, you have to just meet the, the person who's sick where they're at. It's not your job to to push them anywhere. They're the ones leading the show. So I've tried to be gener not like I've tried to be like that same way with maybe um other if anyone else isn't comfortable talking about it, being like, well, that's okay. That's that's their journey. It's if I want then yeah, we can each be on our own journeys and and some people might never want to talk about it and I, I want to do a show about it and that's okay. I love how you talk about you have you do so many characters and you have a character um, that is like a New England Patriots fan. And I've read a, a funny anecdote from you that you you have that character often tear up about sort of like inconsequential things or Tom Brady, for instance, which yes. many Pats fans, I'm sure, would say is not inconsequential. Yes. But, but your, that character gets very emotional and tearful. And you said that you do that because you think there are a lot of people in Massachusetts who have lost their dads and they don't know how to cry about it. Totally. <laughs> yes, that's that's it. I think it's maybe they've lost their dads. They There any number of things that there's no room to express grief except within sports or except. So I think a lot of, yeah, it's like that's the one area that it's acceptable for men to emote in New England culture. And so they're putting mm -hmm. so much onto the oh, game. God, or, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why it gets so heavy so quickly. Here we go, pets. Big day today. We got the big Super Bowl. I have a really big high hopes for them person I don't have high hopes for, my friend Charlene. She is already 12 Sammy Adams deep, and I tell you, I don't think she's going to make it till the end of the game. You know who is? 
Tom Brady, you're our dad. Thank you, Tom. I love you. I'm, I, I'm watching you. I respect everything you do. I have no life after football season is over. I hope this game lasts all day because afterwards, what do I do with myself? But it is true that, like, culturally, we don't know how to grieve. And I remember telling my therapist at the time, like, you know, a year after I had lost him that I like sort of like judging myself, like I'm still talking about him. And she's like, it's been a year. (laughs) It's been one year. But, you know, I think that there is like a general lack of ability to mourn in America. Totally. Um, And I think that that is almost a similar thing where it's like, And that's what I touch on in my show, too, is like everyone is in pain. Everyone is grieving. Everyone Mm -hmm. has someone they've lost. And so I think it's that same thing where it's almost like we don't talk about it because then we'd all have to talk about it. And maybe there. Yeah, it's just. People. Yeah. But I do find that once one person talks about it, usually someone else is comfortable sharing and then you end up getting to. You feel, okay. this is a little bit more normal. We're both talking about it. Mm-hmm. I was talking about it the other day and someone said that it was like their, I want to say 30 year anniversary of the loss. And it was just mm. nice to me to even hear them be like, oh, today's the day. This is the 30 year anniversary. It was just like, oh, yeah, you're still keeping track. This is still a day for you. This is still like this is something that. Yeah. yeah. Something else that, you know, another reason why I wanted to have you on the show is because you talk about and you talk about this in the special, but like we don't you know, because this is a podcast about dads, even though we've had a lot of people on who have lost their fathers, rarely do people talk about the fear that came up from what would happen to their mother or taking care of their mother. Matt, my other co-host, lost his dad when he was three. And so he remembers as a little boy feeling the need to take care of his mom. Oh, but, gosh, no, that breaks my heart. But I just bring that up because, like, the, you know, this this show is kind of born from, you know, three people that lost their dad. But rarely, with the exception of Matt, I can't think of other guests that have spoken about that fear of what, oh, my gosh, what about my mom now? What's yeah. going to happen to my mom? So can you talk about that, like, that that feeling of like, okay, you've lost him. And then did that sort of just focus roll over to like, and now I have to take care of her? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. That became, and I do remember not even realizing it and mm-hmm. my dad dying and then immediately being like, oh my God, now my my mom is, is sick in a different way. Uh, she's in pain and really sad. And that was the next chapter, I would say, was was being there for my mom when she when she because in the same way that I was like so lost without my dad and such a kid like she was so lost without my dad too because they'd been together for so long and she met him when she was a kid I think that's the part of like the hardening of it all the adult of it all like I think that there be there was a layer at that point that just was like okay you are now this is now you are an adult you you don't right now this is you don't have yeah this is right now um different you are here and you're taking care. Um, yeah. That was hard. But yeah, eventually I would say things yeah, started to get a little, my mom started to get a little bit stronger and I started to move away and that, yeah. yeah we both. How is she, how is she doing now? And She's how, great. She's yeah. great. 
She's got a nose ring. She bleached her what? hair blonde. She's moving from the childhood house. She's moving uh, to, yep. And so she's doing really well. She's doing really well. I would say, yeah. Well, another one of your characters is your mother. Yeah. And you, you've had um, a lot of attention, um, your amazing videos of your mom kind of zipping around the house um, and all of the, the amazing kind of things that come out of um, her mouth that I think mom's mouths in general. Yeah. Um, and you talk about in the show, you talk about your mom seeing your dad everywhere, like seeing him like down to like a penny on the ground that she could somehow spot yards away. Like, yes, that, that's your father. Yes. Um, and I and I laughed at that because, you know, that's how my sister is. Like my sister will be like, oh, I saw a hawk today or I saw a, you know, whatever. And I'm like, where's my hawk? Like, yes. I want my signs, you know, and sometimes little things will happen. But what are, do you have similar things? Are you someone that sees him in little moments or if a song comes on or are you in that space still where you are like, that's definitely. Him? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I, I'm, I still find him in nature a lot. So I still think I walk a lot and I, I, I'm, I'm, drawn to the sky into trees and i really can feel him there um yeah that's where i kind of find him and see him still so but then sometimes a song or something in particular will happen but i, I don't know if i say this in the show or but but i, I guess i do like I, I feel the thing of the show of like how much he changed me mm -hmm. i feel so clearly that in a way i feel he's just kind of with me for the ride now like he's with me so i still see him but also i do feel because he changed me so much and my life changed so much because of watching him die it's kind of nice in a way because everything that ha is happening to me all the time i do feel is a, is a is because of him and so therefore he's there with me in in a way you talk about um wanting wanting the goodbye i remember <laughs> laughing out loud when i when you sh did the show at the pit um you you kept sort of in that first version that you kept trying to create scenarios where you could have a movie goodbye with them like yes <laughs> sort of like yes kind of trying to set the scene for a like him to like bestow some amazing kernel of wisdom on totally. you or or whatever um but that you you didn't get that movie goodbye I didn't get a movie goodbye either I'm so jealous of people yeah. that got it um, you know, you, you've touched on it on this interview, but and you just mentioned that you carry him with you. But that feeling and I haven't heard this articulated by, by very many people of like thinking about all the ways that your life has changed and how you are different since you lost him. Yeah. And that weird. I don't it's not quite magical thinking. I have the same thoughts where I'm like, but my dad doesn't know my life now. Right. My dad. I. Yeah, but he doesn't know, you know. He doesn't know, yeah. <laughs> I need him to know. And then I, you know, convince myself that he does know and that he he does know what I'm doing and that he is with me. Um, and maybe he is. Um, yeah. But I think how how have you, you know, you talk about hearted, the death hardening you, but how are you, how are you different now than when you were, you know, six years ago? Yeah, well, I think that this is where I ended up sort of, feeling really grateful for being able to look back at the show with like the years in between because I, I was able to see almost how how different I was. So 
yeah, there were the pieces of like, oh, wow, I had to grow up and I became an adult and I hardened a bit and like all that. And then there was the piece of like, wow, I woke the fuck up. I really stopped waiting for life to happen. I just stopped waiting for life to happen. And I just became much more of an optimist. I became much more of the type of person who would say yes to things. And I prioritized friends and I I went after what I wanted in my job. I was so afraid to say what I wanted to do. Um, I was afraid to fail. I was just living just waiting and feeling afraid and my it was just like this rush of like oh my gosh go go do it go go do what you want to do and and go um go yeah seize the day I think I just used to be like snarky and bleak and dark and edgy and like I acted like I had a hundred lifetimes I acted like life was happening to me and how could it how dare it um and then I just watched my dad take death by storm and after that I was like how dare I not do that you know how dare I not do that yeah did, did you feel like you know you used the phrase pardon did and I relate to that too but did you feel like you can sort of survive anything now yeah yeah, yeah, like I didn't blink with COVID, and I'm sure yeah. you, I didn't blink, <laughs> and I, in a way that was a little jarring. I mean, like, same. I, I just was you. like, okay, here we go. Like, here's the resources we need. Like, I don't, yes, I don't not have things. Like, I don't. I'm always thinking, like, what's are we running out of stuff? Like, yes. do I have enough like food? Am I gonna be oh, like, am I packed? Is the car like? And all that shit, I used to just not. I just didn't. It wasn't a thing. It was like I would rely on other people, or my parents will do it, or someone will do it, and it. No, I'm like now, yeah, so I think it's probably just part of growing up, but yeah, I feel very much like able to survive, um, yeah, things, yeah. Do you ever hear your dad's voice? Like, do you hear him? Does he say things to you ever? Like, I hear Mike, when I fuck up, I can sometimes... I'll hear my dad really clearly be like, oh, <laughs> oh honey. <laughs> um, do you have those moments with him? When something, my dad used to do this. So sometimes I'll do, um, if you're listening, you can't see me, but he would sort of pump his fist in the air. So mm. that's something I still like to do with him when um, when I want to talk to him or when I want to, I, I can feel him fist bump. Sometimes I can feel that. I know he would be doing that and I do that with him. But uh, mainly I feel I feel him when I feel scared to do something and he uh, and I and I do it and uh, he would always just be like it never hurts to ask he was relentless he would do anything he just was the man did not possess fear as I saw it which I knew he did but he he certainly pushed past it so yeah I, I, I feel him in me and I used to really rely on him for advice like I used to go to him for everything I used to run emails by him I used mm -hmm. to like call him for advice and then that that feels good because I'm like, oh, I'm I am listening to him. Just I I skipped the step of asking him because he's not here to ask him. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, well, I feel like he would be be raising his fist and oh, fist bumping you right on. now for your peacock special, Alyssa. It's such a huge thank you so much. Amazing thing. Go watch it. It's 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 no bad days. It's streaming on Peacock right now. Alyssa Limparis queen thank you thank so you much for having for me, me of course so great so to see you
This podcast was created and produced by Erin Hosier, Elizabeth Thompson, and Matthew Philp. You can always listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, and anywhere you get your shows. Follow us at Tell Me About Your Father on Instagram and Facebook, and subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter that accompanies new episodes at tellmeaboutyourfather.com. Also, if you'd like to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts, we'd be super grateful. It seems like a small thing, but we'd love to know what you think, and every review helps us out. No pressure, though. Thanks for listening.